you know, one of the uh, interesting stories that's been going on for the last uh, number of weeks and months has been with the launch of HBO Max and the launch of uh, Universal <clears throat> Peacock. Um, one of the big things, of course, has been that neither of those services have appeared on the two largest streaming platforms in the world, which is Amazon Fire Stick and, of course, Roku. Well, we've all believed that they would eventually get this worked out. I mean, this is going to get worked out somehow, some way, at some point for everybody involved. But it looks like Peacock is escalating things a little bit because there's a story that's come out that's basically laying out that Comcast, the, 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 you know, the company behind NBC, Universal, Peacock, all that stuff. Comcast is basically saying to Roku, Put NBC Peacock on Roku under our terms or else we're going to take our other streaming channels off of Roku. Uh, some of those other streaming channels would be, where did they go? Things like um, the NBC app, Bravo, E, Sci-Fi, USA, whatnot. Now, of course, Roku points out that even if NBC pulls those things off, there are still many ways you can watch all that stuff on Roku, through Comcast, Xfinity, Charter, AT&T, YouTube TV, and a number of other TV apps. So that's still all there. But basically what they're saying is, we want you to take this down despite what Roku is calling unreasonable terms. So they're at the point now that basically Peacock is now trying to strong arm Roku and probably at some point here by extension that will also go to Amazon Fire. Rob, this to me highlights again something that you and I have been saying this whole time. This is a big deal that yeah. HBO Max and P Peacock are not on the two biggest streaming networks being or platforms I should say being Roku and uh, the Amazon Fire Stick. They try, it was, some people try to play it off at first saying, "Oh, it's not a big deal." I mean, there's lots of other ways to get it. It's not a big deal. It's clearly a big deal. If you've got Peacock now basically now trying to step it up, and by the way, Business is business. I don't think NBC Universal here is trying to be a bully. I think they're trying to use whatever leverage they have. That's what you do in negotiations. You take whatever leverage you have and you try to bring your leverage to bear in negotiations. I have I have no problem with NBC Universal trying to push the issue, but I just think the fact that they are pushing the issue and they are escalating this is a clear indicator that yes, it is a very big deal. For Peacock, it is a very big deal for HBO Max to not be on the largest streaming platforms in the world. I don't see Roku caving to this, to this rate. But I, Rob, I, am I being naive that I still believe the fact that they're both still chirping shows that they both want to get this deal done. I believe sooner rather than later, you, they're going to get a deal done. I don't think it'll be everything that NBC Universal wants. I don't think it'll be everything Roku wants. My real estate agent tells me you can tell you reached a good deal when everybody's just a little bit unhappy. <laughs> I've never heard, but he's right. I mean, that's kind of the sign of a good deal. I think it's going to get done here. And I think this sort of story here is just an indicator of that. Anyway, Rob, you're the one who actually pointed this story out to me. What's your take on this? Well, you know, somebody actually wrote in to me yesterday about something that was sort of related to this that. The reason that Amazon Fire Stick and Roku don't have these deals in place is because there's new technology that's going to allow the streaming services to stream over broadcast channels. So you won't need a computer necessarily. You'll be able to stream 
just over the air. Yeah, but I, I read the, those stories too. But th- that's it's actually very limited and very prohibitive. I really don't think there's a future in that. But I don't know. But but I think that that there's there's some kind of jockeying happening here. It's always you know about money and licensing deals and how much we're gonna get and and um, I think there'll be a resolution to it. But you know this brinksmanship. The only people that lose are the audiences. You know, suddenly you're you're using a streaming service and, and your audiences want to get these services and you can't, you know, you can't get, you can't get, um, I don't know, is HBO Max on Amazon Fire Stick yet? I think it is. Can nope. you get through it? No. Nope. Okay. So, you, so I, yeah, I, that's I think there I are use. third party ways. I think there are third party ways that you can do that. And plus there are other services you can. A lot of smart TVs will have it so you can ha- get it. Apple, t- The Apple TV device is something you can use to get it. Obviously the Chromecast, I believe, is something. So there are there are many ways to get it. Right. I mean, it just seems, if I want to stream something and I can't pay for it and get the streaming service, the only people that are losing there are the people that aren't getting my money. So yeah. let's hope they work it out. I mean, it's it's interesting. But this happens, this has been, you know, we hear these stories a lot, like so-and-so pulled all of their programming from this service or that service or whatever service, and you're wondering, well, why would you do that? I mean, I know they have to make long-term deals that work for everybody, but like you said, if it's a great deal, everybody's a little bit unhappy. And as you always say, it ain't show friends, it's show business. (laughs) Hey, guys, question here is for you. What do you think about this new thing? I, I actually take this little conflict as a positive sign. I, I think this shows us that they are still trying to get this done. It'll get done sooner rather than later. How do you interpret it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. One more, a couple more things off the top here before we get into uh, into our other main topics of the day. You guys know that one of my favorite shows in the world is, of course, Lucifer. I'm a massive fan of Lucifer. I loved it when it was on Fox. I was very sad when it got canceled. And then Netflix saved it, brought it back to life. And then this season was going to be the final season. And then lo and behold, they delivered more joy by telling us there's going to be yet another season after this one. We're halfway through the season right now. Uh, Very excited. It's all looking good. Well, things are going better for Lucifer than even I suspected they were. Now, this Hmm. little show that just not long ago got canceled. On one network, well, the Nielsen streaming ratings have just come out, and Lucifer is number one. Lucifer is the number one streaming show right now. Now, they broke it down to the top 10. They said right now, number one is Lucifer with 1.591 billion minutes streamed. So I think that breaks down to about about 100, around 100 million uh, hours streamed. So there's that. Um, not surprisingly, because we've been hearing about this, Legend of Korra, the follow-up series to The Last Airbender, is actually at number two. The Umbrella Academy, another another one of my favorite shows right now, Rob. The Umbrella Academy, sitting at number three. The Office is at number four. Shameless, Grey's Anatomy, Project Power, which is a feature film. Criminal Minds, uh, NCIS, and Teenage Bounty Hunters, which is a Netflix thing, uh, rounded out the top ten. Rob, I love seeing stories like this. And one of the amazing, one of the reasons I love seeing stories like this is because it kind of highlights, um, well, just you know, one of the things that makes me really happy, which is the fact that this is such a great comeback story as well. Because yes, I'm biased here because it is one of my favorite shows, but it's always cool to see a comeback like this, like a show that was left for dead. 
It got canceled. They, you know, the one network and God bless Fox for bringing us Netflix or bringing us Lucifer in the first place. But they had the opportunity. They, they were going to just drop it. It was dead. It was gone. Along came Netflix, scooped it up. And to see a show like that, that just a couple of years was kind of relegated and thought they're done for. It's over. Kind of stand right now as like the number one streaming show, at least this week, at least this week. Right. You know, we got Mandalorian. This is going to change all the time, but it's just a great story for me to see it, particularly as a fan. Admittedly, a little biased here because I am such a big fan of it, but it's really cool to see. Any Rob, you see this. Does this surprise you? What do you think about stories like this of shows that are canceled and making, you know, kind of statements like this? What do you think of it? Well, I think what's interesting now is, is, Clearly, the demographics and the way they're measuring certain shows was not indicative of how many people were watching them. And that was true of like your beloved Battlestar Galactica when it was airing on Sci-Fi Channel because so many people using DVRs to watch it or, or watching it at a later date. So the information about how many people were watching Battlestar Galactica was inaccurate. And so with Lucifer, clearly people love the show or I mean, I can't believe they're all rediscovering it or discovering it for the first time. So it goes on to Netflix and you can binge all the previous seasons. And you you got to admit, even I have to admit, that show's pretty irresistible when you start watching it. You can't, like, <laughs> turn it off. It's wildly entertaining. And it has one of the most charismatic lead actors, I think, in any network show of the, over the last 10 years. Yeah, and Tom so Ellis people, as Lucifer is absolutely fantastic. Oh, he's fantastic. I mean, I'm a straight dude, but I, I can watch that guy all day long because he, uh, <laughs> there's something made, immediately appealing about him. You know, he's handsome. He's funny. He's got his Cheshire Cat grin all the time. He's great. He's really well written. He dresses his great clothes. What's not to love? So I, it doesn't surprise me how popular this show got. And I'm sure a lot of people who haven't ever watched it before, once you have it right in front of you to binge and you, you watch one episode, it's like, oh, give me more. Put it on the mirror. Let me snort that up. That looks, that looks, that's a great show. I want to get that in me. You know, it's funny. A lot of my favorite shows right now were all shows that I avoided at first because I didn't think they looked like for me. You know, we're talking about Harley Quinn in a second. That's one of them. Doom Patrol didn't look like it was going to be for me. I kind of avoided that at first. But Lucifer, too. Like I said, Fox, Lucifer. Oh, the devil's on vacation in California. Pass. And it wasn't until like one weekend that I was just kind of bored and I caught up in everything and I had a few people tell me that maybe I'd like Lucifer and I started watching it. And it was just like you described. I was like, all right, now I'm kind of hooked. And I've been hooked yeah. ever since, so it's really cool to see. Question here is, guys, what do you think about that? I love seeing stories like this, particularly about shows that I love. Jump down to the comment section below and let me know what you think about that story. All right, guys. One last thing off the top for us to talk about here, and that's this. I just mentioned a moment ago that another show that I had zero interest in was the DC Universe, at least at the time it belonged to the DC Universe, animated show Harley Quinn. Uh, just because it, it sounded dumb, I'm not a big fan. You guys know this. I am not generally a fan. I generally, with some exceptions, but I generally don't like the animated stuff that we get for straight to television from either Marvel or DC. So that didn't appeal to me very much. I also saw the trailer for Harley Quinn that they released, and I thought it looked stupid and I had no interest. But you guys kept telling me over and over again, day in, day out, every time I did a show, John, you should really check out Harley Quinn. And lo and behold, I went and checked out Harley Quinn. 
And I'm so glad that I did because it's a must watch show for me. I, I find the show and then I turned Aaron Cummings and her husband Tom onto it. And now they've been binging it like nuts. And we have all together been spreading the good news of the Harley Quinn animated show, which has been glorious and wonderful. Well, there really was some serious discussion going on that we were not going to get a season three, that maybe the numbers weren't super strong, all that kind of stuff. That's now put to rest. It is now official that Harley Quinn has officially been picked up for season three, and it is now, as we all knew it would be, officially an HBO Max show. Uh, by the way, Rob, kind of kind of um, uh, piggybacked into this story about Harley Quinn getting a season three is the fact that they've now made official what we all knew was going to be the case for the last six months. DC Universe is now completely divest divested of original programming. It's, it's now done. It's converting itself, I believe, exclusively to a online streaming comic book service, which I believe is going to be called like DC Universe Infinite or something along those lines. I, I can't remember. Um, and that's certainly worth discussing another time. But for me right now, the story is this Harley Quinn getting picked up for season three. I can only hope it gets picked up for another season after that as well. I love what they've done. with. I love what they do with these characters. It's absolutely hilarious. I just watch an episode, Rob. And by the time the credits roll, I'm in a great mood, you know, and you're smiling and you've been entertained. And that's all I can really ask out of a show like this. Anyway, Rob, there was a lot of talk that it might not get picked up. Were you surprised to see it get picked up? And how do you see this whole thing? You know, I, I'm not surprised because so many people love it. You know, it, it, it's I've whole, heard nothing but universal praise. And I think people hear it and they're like, yeah, whatever. And then they watch it. Kind of like with Lucifer, it becomes irresistible. I've actually now seen some of it, and it's a damn good show. It's wildly, again, wildly entertaining. You know, I mean, you kind of wonder why wasn't the movie more like this? <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I mean, I really, I, I like the show a lot, so it, it does not surprise me. And in a way, it's it's very uplifting if you're a fan of this material to see this happen because I think we live in a world now more so than ever before, that good shows that people like have more of a chance of resurrection somewhere else. Like I thought, like Designated Survivor, that got a third season on Netflix. I never thought that would happen, but yeah. it did. You know, same with Lucifer. And then, and then if it does well, Netflix leaves their options open and, and other streaming services, HBO Max, like, yep. Well, I mean, if, they could make this show forever if they wanted to. So you might see Harley Quinn on HBO Max for the next 10 years. And you know what's really neat about it? Another thing that's really neat about it is that I, I mean, I watch a show and I just, I mean, it's the hilarity. I, I just, I just laugh so much at it. But it's hilarious. There's more to it. Like I was talking with Erin, was who was on the show yesterday, and like she was pointing out, the reason she loves the so, show so much is because underneath the hilarity, she thought that like the female friendship between like Ivy and. Uh, Harley, she goes, that is actually, there's a lot of heart there. And it reminds me a lot of real yep. female relationships. And so I guess underneath the layers of hilarity, there's more to it that maybe wasn't designed for somebody like me to see, but it's always good to see. And it's great to see it's getting a season three question is, have you guys started watching Harley Quinn yet? If you have not, I highly recommend you give it a shot and give it a couple episodes. It's just short episodes, really easy to binge. It's absolutely delightful. Go and check it if you haven't and jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. 
with that down, let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campion Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampionshow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your big topic. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campio show with that down, let's get on to main topic. Number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Maureen H who writes, I belong to AMC Stubbs and just recently and just received a survey from them asking various questions about what I, as one of their patrons would be most likely in participating in. One of the questions asked how likely I would be to have a theater just to myself and up to 19 friends for an older film for $99 or a new film for $199. Amazing deal if they, if they decide to do it, although it's a little concerning that they're not doing as much business as they had hoped. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, look, there's a couple of things at play here. Number one is that we talked about a month or so ago about other theater chains experimenting with different ways to earn income. One of which being, hey, book out the whole theater privately for a screening with you and some friends. You pay X number of dollars. You get the theater to yourselves. You get you know some popcorn and soda. Good time. And we always thought it would just be a matter of time before some of the bigger theaters. I believe Regal is experimenting with that already. And it's not surprising to see AMC is kind of getting into that game too. The other thing that kind of makes us a play is that yesterday, Rob, you weren't here yesterday, but you know, we discussed the topic of all we've been talking about is getting the theaters open, getting the theaters open. Okay. They're in the process there. They are well into the process of getting the theaters open. But now all the movies that were going to be there after Tenet launched, a lot of them aren't there anymore. And what do the movie theaters do now that, okay, you got the theaters open, but now you're <clears> facing <throat> months without a high profile, big, significant feature coming out. And can you survive? And what do you do? Do they have to just shut down again? Not because of the pandemic necessarily, Rob, but do they just have to shut down for the sake that we don't have any big movies to play? This to me only kind of highlights the need for facilities like these movie theaters to get creative and try to come up with different ways and avenues. I mean, look, they're just they're not going to make the revenue they should be making on a, on under normal circumstances, but to generate some kind of revenue to keep the lights on uh, by getting into like private screenings maybe host video game tournaments, maybe do whatever, but they're going to have to do something to eke out some kind of revenue generation in order to stay in business at all, or just close the doors and hope that you can survive until the movies, the movies themselves or are back. So it is a little bit of a conundrum for them. Rob, you see this one sort of move of theirs. It's like, Hey, Book a theater privately for you and some friends to watch an older film or a newer one if you want to spend a little bit extra. What do you think about theaters doing stuff like that? Should they be trying to find new ways to earn revenue? Or maybe at this point, is it just best for them to say, you know what? 
folks, we're just going to shut down till November. We're going to shut down for a couple of months. So I, I, I don't know. But then if you do shut down, then this whole stuff that you've been doing about trying to get the gears moving again, trying to raise awareness that the <clears throat> theaters are open again, all that's gone. And you got to start from zero again when you do November. I, I don't know. It's a tough situation. How do you think they need to approach this? Well, look, I think innovation is always a good thing, you know, and putting these things out is is a good thing. But on the other hand, you know, I read one of the Alamo Drafthouse locations. I'm not sure where it was. They closed their locations again yesterday um, because there's no movies to play. You, we've got COVID cases. They were going down in the U.S. Now they're skyrocketing back up. And I think that it's a very uncertain time. And even with that kind of innovation, I don't know if people are going to go back to the theaters. I mean, they can't. <clears throat> we're not we are not doing enough collectively, especially in the United States, to 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 do what it takes to stop the spread of of covid. And until we start doing that, the theaters are going to suffer. I mean, we're the ones now after the theaters opened, we're the ones that didn't go. We didn't show up en masse. You know, we didn't we didn't. Uh, and I don't know, maybe I maybe people aren't ready to go to the actual movie theaters yet. I mean, driving seemed to be thriving, but. I don't know what AMC is going to do. I think it uh, look, if I had John, if we had 200 bucks and somebody said, "Hey, uh you're going to be the first people to see Black Widow. 200 bucks, we're going to let you and 20 of your friends." And I'm like, "Heck yeah, sign me up. Let's go. Let's get that AMC 16 Dolby Cinema and uh I bet you and I could fill that place if we needed to. And how much fun would that be?" Oh, I, I would totally do that. You know, if everybody, if everybody's going to wear masks and I understand, I could get my popcorn and all that, that'd be dope. Who wouldn't want to do that? But I don't know if, if I, I, again, how can they, how can they bank on that? Hmm. I mean, I know we've been so quarantined. I know I could get 20 people that I trust not to be sick. I, I'd still wear right. a mask, but, but we know people that we've been basically sheltering at home. I would, I would love to do that even if there wasn't a pandemic. If, if I could pay 200. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. It seems it looks like we. Uh... Oh, Rob, you're back. Okay. You froze there for a moment. You seem to be back now. Oh, but I was going to say that um, if I could do that, I would do that all the time. If I could go to my favorite theater and pay people, I mean, pay 30 bucks or, or, or even like at the Arclight's $21. How much is this ticket for the AMC Dolby Theater? 20 bucks. Uh, if you want to go into a Dolby Prime theater on a Friday yeah. night, um, yeah, you're probably paying about 21, 22 bucks for a ticket. Yeah. I mean, if you could have a, I would pay even 30 bucks to have a theater all to ourselves with me and my friends, yeah. you know, to see a first run movie. How awesome would that be? Yeah, it, it would be a lot of fun. And you know, it's funny because I've gone to the theaters twice now. I went to go see, and in two different cities. So I went to go see um, New Mutants in Las Vegas, and then I went to yep. go see Tenet in Anaheim. Both theaters were sold out, sold out with them with them limiting capacity. Yeah. But both theaters were sold out. Uh, both were really good experiences. Both were great. And so uh, you know you're there with your boots on the ground, and you get kind of optimistic. But it just seems like even when when things for the theater, the theatrical industry. Even when things start to look good, then three bits of bad news hit that that it's like taking it all back. But I'm I'm with you. I love the idea because movie theaters 
are inherently, even though they are primarily temples of movies, but they are, or they are also just great facilities. The facilities are just great. And yeah, if you can do that, as a matter of fact, I know in Canada, a buddy of mine, a friend of mine is like the minister of like the largest church in Canada. And they got started in like a, like a, a, some little room. But then for a long time, what they just did is they literally rented out movie theaters on Sunday mornings. They like rented out movie theaters. If you can get like, gosh, I don't know if I'm AMC, I'm, I'm programming video game tournaments. I'm programming, um, Hey, you know, I, 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 you know, get the proper rights to do it and everything, but it's like, Hey, you know, you want to watch the boys on a big screen with people come watch the boys. I mean, they, they would have to work with Amazon to get the proper rights and pay Amazon their fees and whatever, but still, you know, I'm coming up, I'm doing whatever I need to do to keep the public aware that we're here and we're in business so that whenever black widow or soul or bond comes along we're not right back to you know step one again of just trying to raise awareness of letting people know we're even here i i mean they got to come up with something but i i don't envy them it's not there's no easy answer here i don't know that i would do any better job there are guys question for you is what steps do you think theater should be doing right now in the absence of movies absolutely keep playing some catalog movies for sure but they got to do more than that what other things could they do what about the idea of booking it out for friends jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down let's move on to our next main topic today and our next and final main topic today gets submitted to us by dustin crawford and dustin crawford writes hey john and crew just saw on variety that orphan black i know everybody's excited about this that orphan black and perry mason actress tatiana i've never pronounced her last name right uh maslani i hope i think it's maslani has been cast as she hulk I'm not familiar with her work personally, but I'm excited that the show is moving along. What do you think of the casting? Thanks and bring on the filthy. All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, three time Emmy nominated one time Emmy winning best lead actress in a series. Tatiana has been cast as she Hulk from a show orphan black. Now, if you want to, if you've never seen orphan black, Here's why she got nominated three times for best lead actress. She plays like over a dozen different characters. She plays clones, each with their own personalities, each with their own backgrounds, and she kills it. She absolutely kills it. I never finished the series. I, I full full disclosure, I never finished the series. But she was incredible. And she, again, got recognized, won herself an Emmy Award, which is absolutely fantastic. And it has now come out the source of a lot of speculation ever since D23 last year when they announced they were doing She-Hulk. And everybody's asking, who's going to be She-Hulk? Who's going to be? A lot of people thought Alison Brie. Because remember, there was that casting call. It's like, we're looking for an Alison Brie type. And like Alison Brie is <laughs> like, uh, I'm here. <laughs> but they end up going with an Emmy winning actress, Tatiana. Rob, you know, I always say. That when people ask about, hey, John, what do you think about X actor and X role? I don't care. Just make sure you get somebody who's talented. If Kevin Feige was taking my advice, they just crushed it. 
a three-time Emmy-nominated actress, an Emmy-winning actress, a girl this caliber, a girl who's shown she can already pretty much do everything. I didn't really see much of her on Perry Mason because I got into three episodes of Perry Mason, then I I, I ditched it. I, I, just, I, I wasn't liking Perry Mason all that much, so I don't really, I can't evaluate her on that. All I've ever really seen her in is Orphan Black, and she crushes it and got a lot of accolades and won a lot of awards for it. So, Rob, on top of just the fact that everybody's just excited about She-Hulk, and whenever we get some Disney Plus original shows that they've been talking about for a year, and we've gotten a grand total of one so far, but whenever we do, listen, you may not know much about Tatiana, folks, but if you're looking forward to She-Hulk, get excited, because they just crushed it as far as adding absolute, like, cosmic-level talent. Uh, and I think it's fantastic news. Rob, you caught wind of this. You heard about this. What's your reaction to her being cast in this? I, I'm all in. I, I mean, I think again, once again, Marvel's crushing it when they're when they're looking at people. I, you know, I wouldn't have thought that. I mean, it makes total sense when you hear about it. You're like, of course, that's who they should cast. Um, I, I love Allison Brie. You know, uh, Dave Franco is a very lucky man. Uh, I I would love to have seen her as She-Hulk, but I think this casting's tremendous. I I I love it. I love that Mark Ruffalo yesterday tweeted her, "Welcome to the family, cuz." <laughs> and I thought that was really cool. <laughs> I mean, um, I'm I again, it's just you know, first of all, that we're getting a She-Hulk series at all is quite astounding. And now that yeah, an Emmy winner is going to be hulking out. That's pretty cool. So. Like I always say, John, we live in, despite all the craziness, if you're an imagination connoisseur, we're sure, sure getting some great programming and movies now. We sure are. Yeah, there are some good times to live in. And just just to keep everybody updated here, this is what Variety wrote. Tatiana Maslany is nearing a deal. So it's not 100% locked, but once, once you're in, we talk about this all the time. Once you hear that a studio and a talent are now in negotiations on the contract, what that means is that while it's not a completely done deal yet, it does mean that the studio has decided you're the person we want and the talent has decided I want that role. So once it gets there, 98% of the time it, it gets done on a very, very rare, rare occasion does it fall apart after that. But it, it happens sometimes, but still. Is nearing a deal to play the lead role of the upcoming She-Hulk series at Disney+. Plus. Variety has learned from sources. The series centers on lawyer Jennifer Walters, Maslany, cousin of Bruce Banner, who inherits his Hulk powers after she receives a blood transfusion from him. Unlike Bruce, however, when She-Hulk's out, Jennifer is able to retain most of her personality, intelligence, and emotional control. And of course, she's a lawyer, so that plays a big part of who and what the character is uh, again this is great news but and rob i don't want to rain on the parade i don't want to be the debbie downer here uh or anything but as excited as i am by this casting as absolutely tremendous that it is that they went out and got themselves an emmy winner while all this is good it is Difficult for me right now, I must confess, to get terribly excited. Because for a year now, Rob, for basically a year, we've been hearing about this great casting for Marvel, for Disney Plus's some show, about this great writer joining some show, about this great show that they're going to put into production for it. And we're sitting here near a year later, and we've still only ever gotten one. 
and we still I I need to start seeing some stuff on my screen. I need to start seeing some shit here and then I'll start getting very excited. So it's very, very good news. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to crap all over the news. It's great news. I'm just saying it's difficult for me to really like when they announce like a new thing about the DCEU, I can get excited about that because they've given us DCEU stuff. When I hear about, you know, whatever, whoever joining Eternals or something about the MCU, I can get excited because they give us MCU stuff. This Disney Plus stuff has been Keep talking the good talk. I need to start seeing some shit. I just need to start seeing some stuff on my screen. Like, I don't know. Am I being unreasonable? (laughs) I'm with you, dude, because, like, you know, all the shows that I I really want to see WandaVision. I really want to see Falcon and Winter Soldier. I, I mean, I'm like, uh, the we're going to get a second season of The Mandalorian before we get one MCU show. And I think that's nutty. I mean, I, I, I understand. Look, I get it. We're in a, we're in an interesting time, but I also, I also think that they should have had, along with Mandalorian, an MCU show ready to go. You know, <laughs> and the fact that when did Disney Plus debut? It's almost a year, right? Yeah, it'll be a year in what, a November. Yeah, no MCU show. I mean, and, and, and I get it. You're, I mean, look, you're right. The pandemic hit. It, it kind of threw, but, but you're absolutely right. They should have. And, and look, this is not nothing new. All of us talked about this in December and October, like once what or December, uh, January, February, once Mandalorian was done, a lot of the fans were like, uh, you should have had another show ready to go. Like, right. and, and maybe that means they should have delayed the launch of Disney Plus. Maybe, maybe they should have waited until they had a few other significant things in the bag so we could launch. Don't drop it all at once, but hey, Mandalorian. Four weeks after Mandalorian finishes, we got Falcon Winter Soldier ready to go. Three weeks after that's done, we've got this ready to go and and get it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I, this is a song we've sung before. It's just a growing frustration. But anyway, but it's all you know. It's, it's I think in the streaming wars. Streaming services are only as good as their programming. Yeah. And has there been anything that's dropped on Disney Plus in the last six months that's interested you? Hamilton? Hamilton? Oh, that, okay. But, you know what? That's a big one. That's, and that's a, that's a huge that thing. Too. But again, that's just something that, that they did have that they said, well, we got jack shit to show now. So let's take what we were going to drop in 2021. Let's just drop it now. And, and, yeah. and granted, they did. Hamilton's great, but it was a one. It's a one time thing. It's not even a, you know, a seven part, seven episode season of something. So I don't know. Look, I, but I don't want my moaning and bitching to, to, to take away from the fact that this is great news. If you are somebody who has been looking forward to this She-Hulk show, this is something to celebrate. This is good news. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing what they do moving forward. Question is, guys, what do you think about this casting? What do you think about She-Hulk right now? Jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with all that down and out of the way, let's now move on and start taking your live questions. You guys have already been firing in. Once again, if you want to get a live comment or question on the show, just use the tip link in the top of the description of this video. You can just go and click on that there, or you can enter it manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. And uh, you'll be supporting the channel while you do it. And all of us here, thank you very much for that. All right, guys, let's get into it here. The first live question we're going to go to comes to us from Isaac, the film geek, who writes, Hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much, Isaac. And I watch live every day and you are my inspiration. Thanks so much, man. My question for you is, with the reports of a Joker 2, do do we need a sequel to the Joker? Me personally, I don't think so. But I trust Todd and Joaquin. I mean, 
for those of you who've watched me for any period of time, you know what the first thing I'm going to say is, right? There has never in the history of Hollywood been a film that we needed to have made. There's a lot that we really wanted, but when we're asking, do we really need another Joker? No, we don't. We, we just flat out do not need a Joker 2 because we've never needed any film. The question is, do you have an interesting story to tell? And is there enough of an audience out there that would like to see that story? I believe the answer to both of those questions is probably yes. Look, do I think Joker should have been a one and done? Yes. And Rob, you and I have talked about this several times. I think Joker should have been a one and done because it's perfect as that. But if you are a studio executive and you make this film and it gets nominated for Best Picture, it wins your lead actor, Best Lead Actor at the Academy Awards, it crosses the billion dollar mark. Well, that screams at you. There's an audience for it. And we'd be lying. Like, listen, I think they should be one and done, but I'd be sticking my head in the sand to not acknowledge there's a lot of people out there who would like to see another one. So if Todd can come up with the story, a good story to tell that doesn't undermine and ruin all the good stuff they did. in the Like all of a sudden now I have Joker fighting Batman. That completely ruins everything that that ruins everything that that first Joker was to me. But if you can find a good story, I think it behooves them from a business point of view that you got to do it. And Rob, there is an audience for it. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think they should be moving forward with the Joker too? Well, look, as you very succinctly laid out, uh, <laughs> something makes that much money and wins an Academy Award. It's time for a sequel. I mean, this is academic thinking. It's it's not like, well, we shouldn't do that. We have to leave the sanctity of this movie alone. No, people want money. It ain't show friends. It's show business. Let's do some business and make some more money. But on the other hand, then there's the expectation that Joker 2 is going to make a billion dollars. Right. And the novelty is worn off. The zeitgeist kind of a movie that it was and all the different things that people were saying and the think pieces that were being written all over the internet. It's not the same thing anymore. It's You don't necessarily have the novelty. So unless you have a story, this story has to be, in a way, this story has to be even more important than the story for the original film because it has such high, it's a high bar to live up to. And all you can end up doing is disappointing people. So you better have one hell of a great story to tell before you embark on this adventure. I agree. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we have Captain Blue Pants who writes, it's a little unfair to label Mulan and Tenet as flops. It insinuates that the studios had every ability to do better and they should have done more. When in reality, it could uh, it could they have done more. Uh, someone had to roll the dice. No credit for even trying. Oh, no, listen, Captain Blue Pants, I've been singing that song this whole time. Absolutely. I don't think you can label anything right now um, as a flop per se or anything like that because this, it's, this is such unprecedented times and whatever that just to call something a flop right now also seems to imply that something else would have done much better. And I, I, we just have no data to back that up. I mean, right. can we say, can we say, Rob, as, as you and I both have that, hey, they're probably a little disappointed with how this happened. Sure. But but that doesn't point any blame to tenant or or whatever. This is just crazy times that there's no playbook for. And yes, I do personally give all the credit in the world, Rob, to, to Warner Brothers and for, for to Nolan for saying, hey, we're going to roll the dice here. 
We want to be part of the solution. We want to try to be part of the thing that gets people starting to go back to movie theaters. We want to be that. And you know what? That is why, despite audio mixing issues or despite how many theaters are open and despite whatever the final number ends up being, I will always give a world of credit to Warner Brothers for trying to be that film and trying to step out and trying to be a part of the solution to me. But I don't know. Mm. Rob, how would you respond to that? Uh, you know, I... I agree, but in terms of you can't call anything a flop because you can't compare box office numbers now to what went on, say, a year ago. It just it's not the same thing. Although I really do think that they perhaps should have held off with Tenet and and continued to go with lesser films to build up people wanting to go to the theaters. You know, you had your unhinged and what else can they put in theaters? You know, the new mutants. Is there more things that you could burn off? I think that Tenet, unfortunately, was a victim of this, uh, of, of the pandemic. And I think it should have done a lot better. But like you said, Warner Brothers went all in. They did it. They got people back to theaters. And as you pointed out, in Orange County, when you went down to see Tenet, there was a lot of people there. And people are going to start. They had to start somewhere. I mean, maybe not with a $200 million movie, but hey, they did it. All right, uh, let's move on here. Uh, next up comes to us from Willow, who writes, if your theory about Ray Fisher is correct, how do you think it will be resolved? Will WB eventually come out and reveal it was a publicity stunt or will they pretend that it was a real dispute and they managed to mend relations with Fisher? Oh, w Warner Brothers never comes out and admits when it's a publicity stunt. They never once came out and admitted, yeah, we were we we pulled the wool over all your guys eyes, pretending that Ben Affleck was still our Batman for over a year when it was the real fact was he wasn't. And we put on and coordinate that whole show at Comic-Con to make it look like he was still going to be our. Batman. they never come out and admit it that they, they never do that and they never will. Um, so the ultimate way this the, the, their end game in this is to keep everybody they're, they want everybody's blood boiling and they want everybody thoroughly invested in this. And they want whatever's going on with DC to be the first thing everybody's talking about. And their work it's working. It's working. It's going to end up with everybody looking like a hero. It's going to end up with them going, oh, you know, it was so great. To, we worked through this stuff with Ray and we're on a great place. And Ray's going to be, oh, you know, so great that that Warner Brothers listened to my concerns and we were able to work through this and make it. Everybody's going to come out looking great and it's all going to be thing. And no, Warner Brothers will never admit it's a big PR stunt. They never admitted it with the Snyder Cut uh, stuff. They never admitted it with the Bat Flick uh, stuff. They won't admit it with this. So that that's kind of their end game. And again, there's a difference between what we believe and what we know to be true. This is a situation of something that I believe based on what I'm seeing, but I absolutely do not know to be true. Let's be very, very clear about that. I don't. All right. Next up, Stubble McShave writes, it's great that a lot of productions have started filming, but do you think any project where essential cast or crew is in a risk group can start up? I wouldn't want to be the one who signs the insurance for Ridley Scott, Patrick Stewart, or Anthony Hopkins. I mean, that's a good question, Rob, because, you know, we, we're talking about how, like, Yesterday became publicly aware that the Batman has gone back into production because their safety procedures worked. Robert Pattinson got COVID. They identified it. They isolated him. They shut things down, did all the testing, made sure everything was clear, back up and running, shooting again. It was proof that the safety procedures work. Robert Pattinson is in his 30s. Him catching COVID while it's still super dangerous because he becomes a transmitter 
to other people. That's the big thing everybody forgets about. But, you know, there's a high, high chance for somebody like Robert Pattinson catching it to, to recover and recover well. Patrick Stewart, not so much. Ridley Scott, maybe not so much. Anthony Hopkins, maybe not so much. So I don't know. Part of me wants to say, hey, if the safety procedures work, the safety procedures work. And by the way, there was no indication, Rob, that Robert Pattinson caught COVID on set. From everything we're seeing, it looks like he caught COVID elsewhere and and it wasn't on set that he caught it. So I don't know. Maybe an argument can be made that on set is the safest place in the world for an Anthony Hopkins or Patrick Stewart. I don't know. It's a, yeah. it's a good question. I don't know what the answer to that is, Rob. How would you address that? Again, I think you might be right. There's who knows where he caught that. And and uh, again, we just have to be safe and diligent wherever we are. I mean, as they're as they're saying, people breathing out the virus is in the air. I mean, you could literally be you could have walked past somebody the moment they yawned or something in the street and just been dosed, you know, and and breathed it in like who knows? That's why people where you got to wear a mask. You don't know you don't know what you're doing to your fellow man or what you're doing to yourself and uh, I, I think that uh, it's been proven this this place is everywhere and that's why diligent safety protocols that are in place are working. They caught this early. They were able to take care of it, and they'll get back to business, which is great because I really want to see this movie. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. Me too. All right. Not at the uh, expense of anybody's safety, but I want to see it. True. Uh, DBZ Forever tips in $20. Thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level, man. Uh, hi, John. Are you a Dragon Ball Z fan? Uh, Frank, honestly, I'm not. I am not a Dragon Ball Z fan. Uh, what do you think of full-budget Dragon Ball Z movie? Uh, is it possible to make a three or four Dragon Ball Z movie saga, and that would earn $1 billion each? <laughs> Uh, similarly to the Lord of the Rings saga or Marvel movies, no. Uh, or are these stories too difficult to translate to the big screen? I believe there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of uh, limiting um, factors here, and I'm just going to pull up quickly. Uh, uh, let me just pull up what the actual number is. I mean, we all know that the Dragon Ball Z movie they did before was a total and utter flop. We we know that. Um, but which one? Let me just see if I can find the actual movie itself. Because Broly didn't do bad. Because Broly has its audience. I can't. Rob, I, Rob, can you look that up? The one that that got re the theatrical release. Um, mm -hmm. I can't find it. But I know it flopped. See here, it's the. Let me use a property that I am a big fan of, as as an illustration. I love Supernatural. I love that show. It clearly has an audience. It's lasted 15 seasons. It's wonderful. I love it. But ask me if I think it could be a billion-dollar movie. No, it can't be. It can't be a $500 million movie. Why? There's just not enough of an audience there. Uh, there's a very passionate audience. There's a very loyal audience. There's very, all that kind of stuff. But it's not. And yes, you can say, you can say that, well, John, the reason that the Dragon Ball movie didn't do all that well was because it was bad. Guess what? Nobody knew it was bad until it came out. Nobody knew it was bad until it came out. When it came out, we all knew it was terrible. But nobody knew it was bad till it came out. Rob, I remember when you remember we did these shows when they were making the Pikachu, Detective Pikachu movie, right? 
Everybody said, yeah. John, John, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. Because I said, this isn't going to be a huge blockbuster. It might do okay, but it's not going to be a huge blockbuster. John, you're crazy. This is the number one entertainment property in the world. I said, yeah, but you know what the number three entertainment property in the world is? Winnie the Pooh. How do you think that Christopher Robin? And everybody said, no, no, John, automatic billion dollar film, automatic billion dollar film. <laughs> not so much. And it wasn't bad. <laughs> You can't point at it and say, well, it was terrible, and that's why it didn't. No, 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 it wasn't. Were you able to find that box office number, by the way? Dragon Ball Evolution. Right, was the name of the movie that they did, the live the, action movie. Yes, and it made, uh, I just had it here, it made $58.2 with a production budget of $30 million. And it was meant to be the first of a series, though so they were all canceled after yes. the movie didn't, yeah. So and and it was the same thing with um, everybody. It's the same thing that happened with uh, uh, Power Rangers. You know, they were making the new Power Rangers movie that came out just a couple of years ago, and everybody's telling me, John, you don't get it. You don't. You just don't get it, John. This is going to be a billion dollar film. There's it's got the nostalgia factor. Everybody's still super popular worldwide. It's got a loyal fan base. I'm like, I'm not saying that's any of that's not true, but just they put out Power Ranger live action movies, and look how they did. It's not going to be that big. And surprisingly enough, I actually ended up quite enjoying the new Power Rangers movie. I thought it was going to be total crap. I actually ended up liking it. I like that movie. But uh, but no, Dragon Ball Z would not be a – I mean, we just got too much evidence. Now, look, anything can happen. Anything can happen. I mean, I thought the Joker movie would work. But ain't nobody on the planet saw the Joker making a billion dollars. Not as no. a hard R psychological kind of thriller kind of nobody saw that coming, right? So that could happen. It's got. Let's put it this way: Dragon Ball Z has as much of a chance as anything else does, right? It's got a, it's got a puncher's chance, right? It's got a puncher's chance. Yeah. But if you actually want to sit down and look at the data that is there to say whether it is likely to do that or not, I I, I don't see there being any data point that suggests this. You can. You can have confidence that this would be an $800 million movie or a billion dollar. I don't know, Rob. Maybe I'm being overly pessimistic about it. What do you think? No, I mean, look, I think one of the things that people don't realize is that I think anime, as popular as it's become in the United States, isn't necessarily popular enough to make that crossover, that leap. I mean, there's a movie that came out a few years ago called Your Name that's exquisite. That apparently J.J. Abrams has the rights to remake. I, I thought I, I would have thought that would have been fast tracked into into production, but it isn't. It hasn't been. And uh, you know, it, it's one thing with Detective Pikachu, and and the the problem is people don't see those things necessarily as lot big live action feature films. They see them as what they are. Pikachu's part of an animated thing or it's a video game and and i thought what's interesting about detective pikachu is they had a really interesting approach toward turning turning pokemon into a movie and i really loved the approach and i think that's what people were responding to that rather than do some straight up adaptation of the game they did a really interesting is it really interesting take but even that I mean, my mom never would have gone to see Detective Pikachu. So I don't think these animation or anime adaptations are four-quadrant movies. I mean, parents will take the kids, but what they need is people like us to be like, man, I got to go see that Dragon Ball Z movie. It looks amazing. You know, and then we go. But 
even though it's got the nostalgia factor, is Dragon Ball Z the kind of thing that people are going to run out and see a live action version of? I don't know. Yeah, they I mean, did again, with evolution. It's got as much of a chance as any other film does. It's got, uh, but but I, again, I just don't see any data points here that say you sh- you could feel confident that this is a movie that would make seven hundred million dollars at the box office. Right. Right. I, I, I just don't I just don't see that data. And maybe, you know, maybe it does. Who knows? But it is what it is for now. All right. Thanks for writing that in DBZ. All right. Glenn Tracy writes. I think Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie. Neither do I. Uh, I think It's a Wonderful Life uh, is uh, the best uh, Christmas movie. However, I was randomly watching Lethal Weapon 1 the other night and realized that movie has more of a claim in the first 20 minutes than Die Hard. Uh, why is it overlooked? Um, I, I don't know. I, I have a hard... I mean, I saw all... I saw the Lethal Weapon movies. I don't remember the opening of. I, I'll right up, Rob. I'll just confess. I can't remember the opening of Lethal Weapon. Dude, it opens with Jingle Bell Rock. Jingle oh, Bell, yes, Jingle yes, Bell, yes. Jingle Bell Rock. Okay, no, yeah, I, the, the right. Christmas trifecta for me is Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, and Gremlins. <laughs> All three of those movies take place at Christmas. Gremlins is a great. You find out how Phoebe Cates learned there was no Santa Claus because her father got stuck in the that's chimney powerful, and died. Trying that's to play a powerful Santa. scene, man. That's a powerful scene. It's a powerful Gremlins. scene. I like that. And then Lethal Weapon opens with Jingle Bell Rock and a beautiful blonde girl jumping to her death off of a balcony of a hotel. <laughs> I mean, let me tell you. Uh, but it is it all. It is all of Shane Black's movies, by the way, are set at Christmas. Was Everything Predators? he does, kiss, kiss, bang, bang, uh, the nice guys, uh, Iron Man three, he's got a Christmas fetish. Huh? I've never even thought about it. what about what about that recent awful Predator movie he did? I I, I, I can't think remember. That was probably I, you know I don't remember. Might have but been. I think you know it, what? I've never even thought of that. I have, I'm gonna have to keep my eye open for that next time. All Shane right. Black has a Christmas fetish. <laughs> uh, Shane Black is so great. I love Shane Black. Other than that last Predator movie, which is just terrible. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dwayne Jackson writes, hey, John and friends, with all the big budget movies getting bumped to different dates and studios wanting a full capacity to make a return on their investment, how how long do you think studios can afford to sit on big budget movies without full capacity? Um, here's Here's the thing. We've talked about this before. Not only is that a problem. Not only is that a problem because you've got interest incurring because they bor- they make these movies on borrowed money. They borrow the money. They get financers. They make their movies. They don't just reach into their own bank accounts and do it. That's not normally how they do it at any rate. For the most part, they borrow the money because they're good for it. So they borrow the money. And then the longer they got to wait on paying that back, that, that incurs interest and becomes more expensive. And we talked the other day, there becomes... There becomes awareness fatigue where the longer you put off putting a movie out when everybody's aware of the movie already, you start to get some diminishing returns. Rob, to me, though, the bigger issue is going to be this is how we're going to see uh, implications and repercussions of this pandemic even after the pandemic is over, which is we are there is going to be scheduling nightmares for a good year or more. Even once the, the everything's op- up and running full capacity again, because 2021 was already fully programmed. 2021 was booked every weekend of 2021 from January 1st to after Christmas, fully booked, fully programmed. And now we're going to have six, seven, eight months of movies that were supposed to come out in 2020 
that are now suddenly going to be jockeying for position in 2021, a year that was already full. So we are going to see weekends with far too many movies opening. We're going to get other movies that were supposed to come out in 2021. Now they, through no fault of their own, are going to get pushed out into 2022. We've already seen that happen a couple of times. It, it, this is seriously, this whole thing is going to, the mayhem is not going to stop once the pandemic is declared to be over. The, 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 pan, the, the pandemonium is just beginning. We're going to see implications of this and nightmares for bookers and theaters and distributors. This is going to be causing nightmares for a long time, Rob. So it's 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 just the whole thing about allowing interest to encourage just the tip of the iceberg. Anyway, Rob, how do you see this? Oh, no, I dude, I, I agree with you. And it's not just the interest. It's it's all the people that were going to market these movies. And then it's the ancillary markets, whether it's home video and whether it's streaming services or Apple, you know, iTunes. I know it's not iTunes anymore, but whatever. I mean, the, the, the implications when these movies get pushed back, there's a ripple effect through many different parts of the industry for each movie. And it's it's rough, dude. And I, I, I think about it every day. I probably think about it too much. But I worry about people. I, I mean, like, I love this industry. And, you know, it's been the industry I've worked in for a long time. We talk about what this industry does. And if there's nothing to talk about, you know, we're scrounging for topics. So I, I, I don't like it at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what to do, though. What do you what do we do? I mean, there's nothing yeah. we can do. They're just going to have to deal with it. They're just going to have to deal with it the best they can and move forward. All right. Uh, next up, Frankie G writes, who's one of our Patreon supporters. Thank you for being a Patreon supporter, Frankie. Uh, one of two. One of my favorite movies of all time is 1993's Days and Confused. All right, all right, all right. To me, it's so an American good. Graffiti. Uh, by the way, George Lucas fans should check it out. Oh, yeah, you definitely should check out American Graffiti, by the way. Um, the George Lucas fans should check it out for the 70s. I went to the... I went to high during the mid seventies, probably meant high school. And I knew people uh, like in this film uh, soundtrack <laughs> is full of seventies tunes for my teens. Future stars in this film include Jason London, Ben Affleck, Mila Jovovich, uh, Cole Hauser, Parker Posey, uh, Parker Posey, Adam Goldberg, Joey Lauren Adams. Love her. By the way, if you've never seen chasing Amy, just just a great movie. Two Chasing Amy fans or uh, stars are in this movie uh, with Ben Affleck and her. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, uh, Nikki Cat, and Rory uh, Cochran. It's a, it's a special movie. Now, listen, I'm, I'm going to admit, Rob, Days and Confused, never on my top you know 50 movies of all time list or anything, but it's certainly a good movie. I've, I've always enjoyed it. What are your thoughts on Days and Confused? I uh, Dude, it's like the, the ultimate hangout movie. I have the Criterion Blu-ray. I, I, I You know... That's a movie where where when you put it on, you really feel like you know all these people, like they're your friends. And that's why you are watching this movie, because you've gone to hang out with them. And it's just the, the easygoing nature. The performances are so good. And what Linklater was doing and the, the authenticity of the it, – it, it's so – it's a little older than – I was a little younger than that time, but I knew all those people. You know, it's yeah. just like the reality of it all. Crazy. All right, uh, next up. Thanks for writing that in, Frankie. Next up, Russell Amador writes, uh, Hey, John, breaking news, breaking news. Henry Cavill has signed a three-movie deal to come back as Superman. Uh -oh. oh, wait, damn, it was reported by We Got This Covered. Womp, 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 never mind. Well, it, okay, actually, you know what, Russell? I'm glad you brought this up. I'm glad you brought this up. A rumor started going around that... 
Did you hear? Henry Cavill has signed on. Okay. This whole story is stupid. <laughs> if for no other reason than uh, we knew this already. We've known this for almost months. <laughs> Deadline broke ages ago that Warner Brothers and Cavill had decided, yep, we're going to do this again. They were just negotiating the contract at this point. It's it's a done deal. Rob, to, the reason this is a stupid story to me is because what what was our main topic today? Tatiana is joining the Hulk, right? And, and it said in the story there, uh, entered in a final, final negotiation. But okay, this is like four weeks from now. Somebody else breaking the story. Guys, did you hear? Tatiana signed on to play Hulk. She-Hulk. Oh, yeah, we knew already. We knew this. This. This isn't new. This is. This is. Why is anybody talking about this? Look, I'm not. So I'm not saying. I'm not saying that what's being reported because I don't think the originator of that story was we got this covered. If it's ever originated by we got this covered, just ignore it. But I don't think the story story is being originated by we got this covered. I, I think it came from somewhere else and how reputable that other thing is. I don't know. I, I just don't know. But uh, so it, it may be true, but it, we already knew this. Why? Why is anybody talking about? We already knew this, so that's why it's not a thing to me. I don't know, Rob. Am, am I looking at this the wrong way? I don't know. How do you see it? No, I, I don't think so. And you know, somebody was people. Are, people are flooding my inbox. Oh my god! I'm like, um, I went to, of course, Deadline, and then I went to Hollywood Reporter and Variety. Nothing about it. And I was like, you. I'm thinking. Well, we already knew he was coming back for multiple appearances as Superman. I thought when I first saw this headline that somebody sent to me yesterday that they'd actually announced a new Superman film. Yeah, which they have not. And they have not. And I went and looked around. It wasn't in the trades. I'm like, okay, so this isn't a story. This is just regurgitating what was told to us month or however long ago it was, a month, that he's going to come back and unspecified and play Superman in the DC universe somehow. So we knew that. But, uh, you know, I, I always find it strange to me that there's really only three places on the web, John, that you can go for verification of entertainment news. Deadline, Variety, and Hollywood Reporter. Maybe The Wrap sometimes or there's other places. But for the most part, they all are there. And if you don't see it on any of those three sites, then it's not true. So so why people don't just go to those sites for verification, I'll never know. Yeah, and it's not to but say – listen, there, there have been times – there are obviously – there are occasions when you know some smaller outlet actually got the news first. And got, sure. That, yeah, great. But that's why I always say if it's actually true, it will be on Deadline and Variety and The Hollywood Reporter at some point. If it's true, it'll be on there and they'll confirm it and, and, and they'll verify the information. So until that actually happens, we'll, we'll just wait on. But again, this is a story – a whole second – Oh, okay. I'll say I just got a text message. Um, guys, Mahershala Ali is going to play Blade. Yes, start letting everybody know. I, I, I can, I can, I can say it. I'm breaking this news, guys. Mahershala Ali is going to play Blade. I broke it here. Start spray. Start writing the headlines, guys. Anyway, sorry. Start spreading the news. Yeah. So again, again, I'm not. Mahershala Ali is Blade. <laughs> It could be true. It could absolutely be true that, oh, uh, they finally – listen, I believe that Cavill finalized – this was ages ago that Warner Brothers decided they wanted Cavill back and Cavill wanted to be back in. I, I, I'd be shocked 
if Cavill didn't sign that deal three weeks ago. Like, I'd be shocked if it wasn't. Thing. So I'm not saying this isn't true. I'm just saying I don't know why it's why anybody cares. I don't know why it's a story. It's, this is something we already knew. But whatever. Uh, let's keep going on here. Uh, that was Russell. Next up, Caleb writes, Hey, John and Rob, just finished the 2004-2009 run of Battlestar Galactica, my all-time number one favorite TV show ever. Uh, and oh my God, loved it all, especially the CGI, Apollo and Boomer. I know this is your favorite show, but could you explain why it worked for you so much and who are your favorite and who your favorite character is? Well, I can tell you who my favorite character is right now. It's Adama. Uh, Commander slash Admiral Adama played by the great Edward James Olmos, who can currently be seen on Mayans, um, is absolutely 100% my, my favorite character. Why does the show work for me? It works on several levels. Number one, um, you know, characters. The characters in the show are just so great and diverse and different. Number two, the plot is amazing. The plot is absolutely amazing. You know, uh, AI eventually, there's a little terminator there, but, but you know, the, the, the technology that humanity created ultimately turns against it and humanity has to go on the run. But the main thing to me, Rob, the main thing about Battlestar Galactica, and this frankly goes back to the original Lauren Green, um, you know, uh, uh, Richard Hatch uh, uh, series. Dirk Benedict. Dirk Benedict as, as the original Starbuck. It's the mythology of it. The way they incorporate mythology into like classical human mythology into this big sci-fi epic, the 12 tribes, right? I mean, it gets downright biblical. I mean, the 12 tribes, uh, you know, the lost tribe, they like all this kind of stuff, like the thing about the, 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 the ancient gods and all the way they incorporate all of that into this one amazing narrative never ceased to blow me away. Rob, it worked as an action show. It worked as a drama. It worked as high concept sci-fi. It, it, it just works on every level. And that is why it is my all-time number one favorite show. Your thoughts on, on Battlestar Galactica and why did it work for you? Dude, all of those things that you, you, you said are reasons why the show works. It works on every different level. It can be different shows to different people. And like you said, the mythology is just so compelling because if you think about it, the Cylons are monotheists. You know, they believe in the one true God, whereas the 13 colonies or the 12 colonies, but the colonies of man were polytheists. They had multiple gods, you know, and prophecies and all that. So they're dealing with many different levels. But what I really love about the concept and that was really brought forward in Battlestar Galactica is God or a higher power or some alien intelligence exists on the show because you do have the head Baltar and head six, the angels, whatever they are, are actually working for a higher power, like watching over this whole these whole events. It has all happened before and it will all happen again. You know, when Starbuck comes back from the dead with her brand new heavenly viper and it, it embraces all of that and puts it all in this show. So you can watch it like they do shows about 
uh, post-traumatic stress. They do shows about black market trading in, in war-torn environments. They're the refugees. I mean, if you want to see a show that perfectly reflected our world today, but in a heady science fiction concoction, it was Galactica. It worked, like you said, on so many different levels, but really hard-hitting, powerful stuff. It was no one – it wasn't – it's not the happiest show in the world to watch. It did not flinch from its subject matter, and that it was all the better for it. And I'll tell you what, uh, my all-time – I often talk about my all-time favorite season of television is season one of Heroes. My all-time favorite series finale uh, was the uh, Star Trek uh, Next Generation series finale was my all-time favorite that. My all-time favorite that's all there. My biggest what-the-f moment in the history of television – my, with all the twists and turns and games of Game of Thrones and anything else, I am telling you right now, my biggest, where I, maybe the only time in television, I literally jumped out of my seat and screamed, what the F at the, at the television ever. And I think you know where I'm going with this. All along the watchtower. The moment, <laughs> the moment they started humming and singing all along, as soon as I, like, they're doing this tune, dun, 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 I'm like, well, that sounds familiar. And when I started putting it, that's, that's all on the watchtower. What the fuck? And I'm like, I start freaking out in my living room. It is like, that is my biggest WTF moment ever in television history was that moment. You know, not enough can be said for Bear McCrary. I mean, everybody loves Bear McCrary now because they've heard his stuff, but his, the music on Battlestar Galactica is quite spectacular. And while I dearly love the original Star Trek, the original series music they put out on CD, I think Battlestar Galactica's score, the music, the, the, the way they use drums and percussion is some of the best music ever uh, composed for television for a specific show. And what I mean by that is that music added to the tapestry of the show in a way I don't think I've ever heard before or since. Also, the visual effects, they, they it, it had a style and it made you talk about verisimilitude. It made you believe. By the way, my favorite character is Saul Ty, by the way. Oh, Ty was great. And by the way, speaking of uh, speaking of Sonic, the hedgehog, which we were kind of brought up a little bit earlier, uh, he makes did you notice he makes a quick little appearance in that movie? As the uh, tie appears in that when the after Sonic blows the power grid on the eastern seaboard or the western seaboard, um, they go to the like the Pentagon. There's this there's this a board table filled with generals and they go, what do we do about this? It's the scene where they say they're going to go and get uh, Jim Carrey, blah, blah. But the one saying, tell me you're not thinking about the Jim Carrey. That's tie. That's uh, that's tie from the, it's like, oh, my God, he just made this like this quick little momentary appearance in it, which is great. Anyway, sorry, guys, we spent a lot of time on that. We need to move on uh, to the next topic. Um, let's see here. Thanks for sending that in, Caleb. Johnny Five writes, hey, John, have you ever watched the motorcycle documentary featuring you McGregor? I have not, but I've always been interested in it. Uh, featuring yeah, you McGregor. Drive over the world called the long way round i recommended a third new season starts today on apple tv plus but apparently my three-year-old samsung tv is too old to install the app you know i've i saw them talking about this i've heard mcgregor talk about this i've seen clips from it but i've never actually seen it myself rob did you ever actually watch any of this i know but i it's funny because it's one of those things that keeps popping up i just saw something about it the other day um and i i really want to see it i've wanted to see it since it was first announced yeah 
yeah, it just seems really interesting. I love docu-series like that too. So I, I'm going to have to check that out at some point. All right, Preston the Kryptonian writes, one of two. Hey, John, hope you're doing okay and that the fires are nowhere near you. I know, but we're getting the effects of the smoke, though. The air quality is terrible right now. I got, like, air purifiers <laughs> like running 24-7 in here. Uh, here in Dallas, COVID-19 is still very much present, but I was still able to hit up Alamo Draft House with a group of friends to see Tenet for a second time. Uh, where's number two? There it is. Press number two. Uh, there are six locations in the Dallas Fort Worth. I'm guessing that's what DFW is. I have no idea area. And only two are open. Uh, one of them only five minutes from my place. Everyone had to wear masks and had to have their temperature taken. I like that. I like it when places also take temperatures, um, had to have their temperature taken. No one could use the kiosks or front desk. Even John David Washington was wearing a mask. Good to hear. And listen, it's, it's great. I wish I had a theater that was closer to me that was open because right now I have no like if I want to go now thankfully I don't have to drive to Las Vegas anymore um, I only have to go as far as Anaheim, which is just like 45 minutes away, 35 to 45 minutes away. Uh, but it would be nice to have one five minutes away. So I'm glad you're able to have a good time, man. And I'm glad to hear that your theater is following strict safety procedures to keep everybody safe. So I'm g glad to hear that. All right. Sam Fisher writes. I am so happy for this. Oh, what's that? Okay, I guess we're talking about that. I'm so happy for this. She is phenomenal in Orphan Black. Since they haven't established Bruce has uh, uh, dissociative identity disorder, maybe Jennifer will. I just hope we see Mark Ruffalo and they keep the blood transfusion origin. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how they don't have the blood transfusion origin because you got to explain her getting this somehow and through blood is a way the Hulk films have done that already. Like even in the um, Edward Norton, Ed Norton Jr. Hulk movie, they, the, through his blood will, will transmute these powers in varying degrees and with different effects to different people. So I, I feel pretty confident they will there too. It's important to point out that Mark Ruffalo at least said that he still has no idea if he's appearing in the show. He said there had been some discussion, but he said nothing serious, and he still didn't know. Rob, at the end of the day, do you think we're going to get Mark Ruffalo in this series, at least for a cameo in episode one, where she gets hurt and needs a blood transfusion or something? I'll give you the over or under on it, John. A hundred percent. It's a hundred percent. You don't think there's some way they may avoid this? No. Okay. No. No. <laughs> Especially okay. with Mark Ruffalo <laughs> tweeting at her yesterday. <laughs> well, they, uh, that's true. Maybe he's just vying for a gig. Who knows? But uh, I, I, I think it's likely. I, I don't feel as confident that you do that Ruffalo will appear, but I do think it's likely. I do think it's likely. 100%. So. 100%. 100%, he says. All right. Uh, so Sam also writes, my theory is that Kang is showing up in Ant-Man 3 as a consequence of messing with the time with time in Endgame, and it would make sense because it was Scott who came up with time travel idea in the first place. Um. I, I mean, look, I know everybody, Rob, I've gotten so many messages lately from everybody saying this is how you have to do it if you have Kang and they're all different. So the, I've, I've gotten about 50 different things from people saying this is how you have to do Kang. And I, I don't know. Like they may listen. Kang may not even have anything to do with time. I mean, that that seems ludicrous. I admit and that sounds ludicrous, but I'm just saying it's a possibility. They don't even have time as a part of his gig or part of his deal. I I, I just think here's the danger rob the danger is movie fans getting too invested in their own theory 
We saw this happen with Star Wars. We got a bunch of fans get so invested in their own theory that when it doesn't turn out to be their theory, they automatically feel let down or they automatically feel it's just this is dangerous to do that. This is dangerous to do that. It certainly is a possibility. But Rob, I mean, with a character like Kang, that it does open a lot of doors. Let me ask you this. How much liberty do you think they're going to take? How, how, how tight to the comic stories and the comic origins of Kang do you think they'll they'll uh, they'll stick to and, and how much liberty do you think they'll take well the the character has many different sort of incarnations and has been different things over the years but basically he's a dude from the 40th century with all of this technology you know he's really smart and and all that and i think that the fact that he travels through time and there's different iterations of him i think is a big part of his character and the fact that now now that the avengers have used the quantum realm to travel through time i think that's a great way now kang's ability to travel through time has been established uh, canonically in the mcu which i think is really important because if they just interview if they, if they just introduced kang before the quantum realm and he was a time traveler then it would sort of strain credulity a bit but now we've seen a way not only have we seen time travel in the mcu we've seen the rules of how it's governed and i think that's really important and and i think that 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 we are going to see kang making use of that uh the the um the quantum realm somehow because that's a big part of who he is and look he's fought the avengers he's fought the fantastic four he's a really big heavy hitter in the marvel universe in terms of villains and i think they're gonna hew pretty close to what he's like i don't think they're gonna change him that much because he's a pretty cool character all right, let's move on here. Next up, it's also Samuel Wright's uh, Reading Slugfest. I love that book, by the way. What is your favorite story from that book? I think mine might be the, the Man-Thing, Swamp-Thing one, where Marvel threatened to sue for copyright, but then DC countered with suing for Hulk, all the while Len Wein and Gary Conway were roommates. My honest favorite stories in, in Slugfest often just revolved around the fact that you had DC guys and Marvel guys, like back in the day, literally would just like almost daily hook up for lunch they would just like all go right. there like and just like the dynamics that were like and then, then of course all the gamesmanship like honestly listen we we like to think about stan lee as being this borderline saintly figure back when it when they were in the shit like when it was when it was actually really tense between marvel and dc i mean you read this book Lee could be a bit of a dick <laughs> sometimes like with some of the stuff he would write like I, I don't mean write into his comics but like write in his like last page like kind of little editorial messages he would write it's like yeah. he he could play hardball I mean he really could but I I just loved to me it was the in and out it's the things that bring Rob to use your term again the, it, it's the things that bring verisimilitude to it it's the stuff that humanizes it and demystifies it it's those little stories like so so and so from DC and so and so thing and we're just when they get together at this deli up the street from both of their offices to go and have lunch together and talk about what's going on like it's just it's these little stories that open up the world to me honestly. And yeah, Rob, I can't remember if you ever had the chance to, to read Slugfest, the 50-year battle between Marvel and DC. Have you yet? 
No, I haven't. And I, I've read excerpts from it, but I haven't read the whole book. And I'm, I, I, it's one of those things. I have the book. I just haven't read it yet. Dude, I would highly recommend even just the audio. The audio edition is uh, the author of the book uh, who, who reads oh. through it. And it's uh, – it's it's a terrific terrific read you absolutely should check it out uh and that goes for all of you guys do check this book out it's absolutely fantastic. if you want to know more about the history of of the comics and like how we got to where we are with marvel and dc it's a fantastic fantastic uh book all right james lh writes one of three hi john sorry a bit of a rant uh i don't send in questions about internet drama but i have uh, but I have mentioned MCU versus DCEU. Unfortunately, this has come up again. I don't understand why some are angry that James Gunn invited Kevin Feige and uh, Esposito to the set of Suicide Squad. I've read many times filmmakers visiting the sets of another filmmaker's project. I'm sure you would know more about that than me, but it's just ridiculous. I've read online and seen videos of people accusing DC of stupidity to let Feige, quote unquote, steal their, yeah, because that's what Kevin Feige does. Kevin Feige just steals other people's ideas. Um, um, it seems DCU are always betrayed by leaks to the other side. I've read Gunn where he was asked how uh, Warner could allow this. Shockingly, Gunn said Warner was fine as they as they all got along. Maybe I'm naive and thinking filmmakers like to support each other. No, so for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, James Gunn did reveal recently that um, somebody had asked if Kevin Feige was cool that he was off making a movie with Warner Brothers. Now, of course... Why wouldn't he be? The only reason he was available to Warner Brothers is because Alan Horn fired his ass from DC or from Marvel, I should say. Uh, and so he became a free agent for a bit and every single studio lined up to hire him and he chose Warner Brothers because they and they offered him whatever project he wanted and he wanted to do Suicide Squad. So he was basically so he was asked was kevin feige okay with you doing that and he said well yes yeah. matter of fact i had kevin down to set and i had uh, esposito came down to set and visited and blah blah and yeah there has been some unbelievably brain dead discourse that has happened as a result of that that they were there to spy on us oh my god some people are so stupid um but yes, anyway, the reality is Kevin Feige has talked a lot about, he has a very close relationship with a lot of the senior people at Warner Brothers and vice versa. And, you know, it doesn't, it, it just seems, it's amazing to me that it doesn't matter how many times Henry Cavill, Kevin Feige, the upper leadership, but it doesn't matter how many times they come out and tell everybody, hey, listen, we're all fans of each other and we cheer for each other's stuff to succeed. Because the more their stuff succeeds, the bigger the fan, the, the potential fan base for comic book type of material becomes. And we could capitalize on that and we could benefit from that and blah, blah. It doesn't matter how many times they do that. There are still so many people that are so locked in this juvenile little, if you like Marvel, then you have to hate DC. Oh, shut the fuck up and please never breed. Um, it, it is crazy to see. And even with something like this, something really fun, like... That shows like all like all these people in this industry, all these creative artists who just celebrate each other's art. And, you know, James Gunn making a, a DC movie. Kevin Feige comes down, visits the set of this DC movie. And yet there are still like these incredibly dipshit, stupid parts of our brains that try to look at that as some kind of a negative thing and try to portray this as some sort of a negative thing. And it doesn't matter how many times Henry Cavill comes out and talks about it or how many times uh, Feige has come out. It just there's some people so locked in their tribalism 
that it's just sick. It's just stupid. Like this, this is a fun thing. Here, here, in that, that you got executives from the other companies visiting and, and geeking out together over the projects that the others are doing. This is a good thing. This is something all of us in this fan community should be getting. Yeah, this is awesome. This is great. And instead, there's still people who are so locked into this like backwards ass thinking tribalism uh, that they try to ruin it for everybody. And it just contributes to the toxic stuff. I, I know, Rob, did you even see about this, about Gunn talking about the fact that he had uh, Feige down there? What do you think of that? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's such a – I think people need to understand that you have to put aside the fact that it doesn't matter what movie James Gunn is directing. He's going to invite his friends to come visit the set, especially the executive that he's going to make a new movie with. You know, that's just how people are in the business. You know, we don't – when you're working in the business, like, John, you've gone to sets. Nobody's going to – nobody cares. Like, there's no rivalry. It's If Kevin Feige comes down to the set of a DC movie, it's not a DC movie, really. He's going to the set of a Warner Brothers movie that has to, happens to be a DC film. But he, it's it, there's nothing – there's no rivalry. There's nothing going on there. I mean, it's just one person who's worked with a friend who has a friend come to set. You know, one of the most powerful producers Hollywood has ever seen. Why wouldn't you want him to come down and watch you work? Yeah. It's and Kevin Feige, Kevin Feige is the guy who gave him his biggest break in movie business. Kevin Feige is the guy who brought him in. And before the whole drama with Alan Horn, Kevin Feige had designated James Gunn as his kind of overseer for the galactic element of the MCU. Everybody forgets yeah. that. So Kevin Feige and James Gunn are really tight. It's not like James Gunn didn't know Kevin Feige and just said, uh, hey, uh, president of Marvel, you want to come down? No, this is like a really good friend of his who's a mentor to him and who give him his biggest breaks and said, hey, you want to come down and see what I'm doing? Yeah, I mean, it's to, to, to try to paint this as anything but positive and fun and a great example of how all these artists are just fans together and stuff like that is completely ass backwards. And completely yeah. asinine. So anyway, okay, let's keep going here. So I, I, I'm with you on your frustration on that, James. I really am. All right, Eric, uh, not RG Como, right? That's a cool name. Uh, it's it tipped in $20. Thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level, Eric. All right. Hello, John. Uh, I'm... If you know anything about the rumors of Pedro Pascal, we touched on this the other day, uh, about the rumors of Pedro Pascal leaving The Mandalorian halfway through the second season as reported by Grace Randolph. Technically, that's not exactly what Grace said, so let's not put words in her mouth. Um, her reporting is not the most reliable, but uh, but hey, even a broken watch can be twice can be right twice a day. Okay, so look, um, I said this, I'll just address this quickly because I've already addressed this on other episodes. Um, to be, let, let, be fair to Grace, like the main thing that Grace was saying was that there were issues and that she was told, right? And I have no doubt that everything that Grace is saying is stuff that she was told. I highly doubt the validity of what she was told, but she's just communicating what she was told. So, I mean, just be fair to Grace about that. Let's get, let's get to this thing. Look, this whole notion, you can just ignore this whole thing that Pedro Pascal stormed off and left halfway through season two, that's absolute 1000% bullshit. I'm not saying there wasn't any drama. I'm not saying there couldn't be any issues, but this whole idea that he left, and there's three very important reasons why. Number one, Pedro Pascal isn't needed on set of The Mandalorian. He wasn't on set most of season one shoot. 
most of the time, contrary to what I believed earlier, because we talked about this near the end and when they were talking in the making of, most of the time, it was one of two other guys in the Mandalorian suit. One guy is a trained mixed martial artist to make the hand-to-hand fights look good. The other guy is a cinematically trained gunslinger Western guy to make the gunfights look really good and real. Most of the time, he was never on set in the first place. Pedro Pascal went into onto the Disney lot, spent a couple of days speaking into a microphone to recite the lines in the script. That was the majority of his involvement. So number one, they don't even need Pedro Pascal on set to do The Mandalorian. They just don't. The second thing, of course, is the fact that his voice stuff, which you do need him for, that's all done in the matter of one or two days. I mean, that that's really all that's that's needed. You, he could read his script for the entire season in a day. If you want to stretch it out, maybe two, maybe three. The third reason why this is com- why you should ignore this thing completely is this. You can't just walk off a show halfway through the season. If you got a contract to do that season. Yeah, no. If you have half half a grain of intelligence here, if Pedro Pascal has a contract to do that season and just walks off the season, he's going to get sued into oblivion and he will never work in this town again. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. The reason that this whole thing about Pedro Pascal walked off is so preposterous is because it actually couldn't happen. I'm not like, first of all, Pedro Pascal is not some prissy little whiny bitch who's going to go, I'm not getting my way, so I'm leaving. I've seen nothing in Pedro Pascal that he's that type of prima donna. All right. But even if he was, even if he is the prissiest of prima donnas in the world, which I've seen no evidence to suggest that he is. But even if he was, he just couldn't. Number one, they don't even need him to do it. They just put somebody else in the Mandalorian suit and they already recorded his dialogues. It's no big deal. They don't need him. But number two, even if that wasn't the case, and it is, but even if it wasn't, he's got a contract. He can't just up and walk off a series halfway through. He would be ruined and it would finish him. Maybe he could say, Rob, that, okay, that's it. I'm not going to sign up for season three if he doesn't already have a contract for three seasons. Maybe that could be the case. And again, I'm not saying everything about this, this, these reports and everything is bullshit because maybe there was some tension. Maybe there are issues. Maybe so-and-so had a problem working with so-and-so. I mean, that could all be the case. That could all theoretically be the case. I'm not saying that that Stuff is impossible. But this whole narrative that some people have been trying to paint that um, all of a sudden, Pedro Pascal had no idea that in this season he doesn't take off his mask. That's what they're painting. That Pedro Pascal never once looked at the script and and then decided, well, if I don't get to take off the mask, which he wasn't on set anyway, but if I don't get to take off the mask, I'm leaving. But you have a contract, Pedro. Doesn't matter. I'm leaving. We'll sue you for everything you've gotten. You'll never work in this business. Doesn't matter. I'm leaving. It's <laughs> how anybody buys that is completely the, the level of naivete you have to have to to possibly again, there could be issues and there could be problems. But that narrative as it's structured is just ridiculous. Anyway, Rob, your your perspective on that. 
Oh, I completely agree with you. He's got the cushiest job. It's not like he's Lawrence Olivier and he's deep in some method acting business and he's been disrespected by the director. I mean, come on. <laughs> he could do an entire season of that show. They never have to take his helmet off and he just does voiceover from his home wherever he lives. It's the cushiest job in the world. You know, he shows yeah. up for a few days. They show his face and then he leaves. <laughs> come on. Uh, it's it's just the, the idea that the idea that he storms off the set is and he, let's say John let's say it did happen I'll bet you like he stormed off the set because of something completely unrelated to the show it it, it doesn't strike me as uh, a troubled production you know it's, yeah and again he couldn't leave even if he wanted to because he signed a contract. It's just yes. that you don't see. Look, like sometimes, Rob, we've talked about sometimes a studio may let you out of a contract at some point. Like, for instance, um, uh, why am I freezing on Lord Elrond, Agent Smith? Why am I Hugo uh, Weaving? Hugo Weaving. Thank you. Even though Hugo Weaving had a multi-film deal to play Red Skull in the MCU, after Captain America the First Avenger, he didn't enjoy the process he had to go through and putting on the makeup. To him, he said it was torturous. He didn't want to do it again. And so Marvel let him out of his let him out of the deal. They said, okay, fine. Even though you've got a deal, do this. But Rob, it would have been different if they were halfway through through filming Captain America the First Avenger. And one afternoon, Hugo Weaving came in and said, you know, get me Kevin Feige on the phone. I don't want to do the movie anymore. We're halfway through shooting. The, we, we can't just switch. We, we, you're going to undermine our entire movie. You're going to cost us tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. doesn't matter. I don't want to do it anymore. That, yeah, this I'm is out. totally different. Yeah, you can't, you can't do that. So, yeah, you're they could the let him time. out. They did let him out of his deal after that movie was done. And they wrapped everything and that they could make yeah. other plans. But halfway through a season, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, Rob, we've kept you over time here. We know you got things you got to do. So in the meantime, Rob, where can people follow you and uh, your intrepid adventures online? Well, you can find me on uh, Instagram at Robert My Burnett. Find me on Twitter at Burnett RM and follow me on YouTube at The Burnett Work where we're prepping. And you can join, John, if you want, because you're a – well, you can't. You're a judge. But the uh, the first intergalactic, the first I vote intergalactic, for me. I vote for my first project. Intergalactic film festival. We're throwing it. So if you ever wanted to make a movie sometime between October first and December first, you can and you can submit it to the first intergalactic imagination connoisseurs film festival. That John Campy is one of our esteemed judges. So if you ever wanted to be judged by John, here's your chance. Make a movie, be judged by John. That should be a T-shirt. I want to be judged by John. All right, Rob, thanks a lot for being here, man. I'll talk to you later, dude. All right, I'll see you later. All right, take care. All right, guys, we still have some time here to keep out. I don't know why the music kicked in there. We just wanted to play Rob off. All right, let's get back over to your live questions, guys. We still got about uh, 25 minutes here. Uh, Min Tran writes, maybe it's just semantics, but when I saw Tenant, I didn't have trouble hearing what the character was saying. I had trouble following and understanding what they're I have. I had trouble following and understanding what it was they were saying. I can make out most of the words. Um, I just couldn't understand what they were saying or what they, or I just couldn't understand what they were saying or what they were saying. I was, 
I was a weird combination of heavy accent, speaking softly, speaking fast, and hard to follow the story. I mean, yeah, it, it all depends. It, we've heard, we've talked a lot about this ad nauseum, about the whole tenant thing, the sound mix, the ability to understand what dialogue is being said. Again, there are one or two scenes in Tenet where it is purposefully done because Christopher Nolan doesn't want you understanding what a certain character is saying at that moment. And that was for narrative purpose. But there's also a lot of stuff in the movie where you can't understand what's being said when you are supposed to be able to understand what's being said. But it, yeah, it is a large mixture of things. It still just comes down to overall mix. You know, you got to make sure that the audience can clearly understand and follow what it is you you're wanting them to be able to understand and follow. And, and we've seen a couple, not all, certainly not all, but we've seen a couple of Christopher Nolan movies where that can sometimes be a little bit of an issue. Um, so you're not alone in that experience, man. You're not alone in that experience, my friend. All right. The adrenaline night rights. Hello again, John and friends. So yesterday when I said that movies would be boring if they were like the comics, I meant that if movies were beat for beat the same as the comics they were adopting. Oh, I see you're saying not that comics don't have surprises. Uh, we would know it all. Okay, so what you were saying yesterday was if the movies were just like the comics, they'd be boring because we know exactly what's going to happen. That's not necessarily true. And the reason that's like, even if a comic book movie followed beat for beat a comic book story in an actual printed comic book, that really wouldn't be an issue. And the main reason that wouldn't be an issue is this. People who read comic books tragically overestimate how many other people read comic books because it's finite. It's finite. So the vast, 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 vast majority of the movie going public have never picked up a comic book and it wouldn't, they wouldn't know anyway. The other thing that goes against that, that even if you are a comic book reader, if you went into a movie that was kind of beat for beat the same, well, that still wouldn't necessarily be an issue because like, look how many movies are based on novels. And a lot of people who've read the novels go to see the movies and they, they just go to love the story or like, if, if knowing everything that happens makes a movie boring to you, then you would never watch a movie twice. I've seen Man of Steel many times. I know exactly what happens in Man of Steel, but I still watch it every couple of months because, and it's still thrilling and exciting and all that kind of stuff. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily true, Adrenaline King. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with you on that. I think there are a couple of things that work against that. But anyway, thanks for sharing your observation, man. All right. Dumbledore Calrissian writes, one of two. John, I finally started The Boys, good on you, yesterday, and today I'm already caught up. I am completely caught off guard by how much I love this show. What I expected was a fun, bonker show, and those elements are definitely there. What I did not expect was the heart, the depth, and the incredible character development that this show has. Also, Homelander is such a deeply horrible and twisted person, I find myself cringing quite often when he is on screen. There, listen, and last night, I watched the newest episode of The Boys. It fortunately came on at 9 p.m. for us last night. So Ann and I and our friend Corey, we were like, it's Amazon put it up early. Great. And we sat down, we watched it. It's so good. It's so good. I am loving this show so much. Uh, but you're right. That's one of the great things about it. And, and what is also true of the other two superhero-esque shows that are on right now in Doom Patrol and Umbrella Academy. These are all three shows, along with the boys, that 
aren't just amazing fun and great bonkers stuff and it's superhero material. It's also deceptively deep. They're all also deceptively deep, especially Doom Patrol, which like Doom Patrol, they have an episode about sex ghosts and they have these Ghostbuster characters called the Sex Men, not the X-Men, the Sex Men who go around and deal with like massive ghost hauntings where the ghosts are all having giant sex orgies. In the midst of that bonkersness, though, is this really deep stuff that happens like um, like a couple of characters sitting down and discussing their own failures as fathers and and what that the impact that that has. On, I mean, they, they just they dress up in disguise this incredible depth. And the boys definitely does that as well. Homelander is an incredibly fascinating character. I'm really glad you're on board with it, Dumbledore, because that show to me is just absolutely spectacular. All right. Min Tran writes. When I saw Tenet, I saw the trailer for Judas and the Black Messiah. Yes, the movies look incredible and I can't wait to see it. I was uh, I was disappointed that it was pushed to next year without a set date. I didn't catch that. When is the date for that? Hold on a second. Um, the Black Let me see if I can find it here, the new date. It was pushed to 2021. Do they actually have, I'm not seeing a month for it yet. Oh, 2021 USA. Right now, all I'm seeing is coming out 2021. Um, but uh, but whatever. Anyway, look at the cast in this. Look at the cast in this movie. Lakeith Stanfield, who's just uh, amazing. I love this guy. This guy is incredible. Daniel Kaluuya, who was just ob obviously he was great in Black Panther, but before that in Get Out, that's where everybody really recognized him from. Jesse Plemons. Uh, who is just fantastic, becoming one of those guys you absolutely have to watch in this business. By the way, if you haven't seen Game Night, Jesse Plemons steals that movie, man. I mean, everybody's great in it. Everybody's great in it. But he totally steals that movie. Anyway, uh, it, yeah, it's. Uh, I didn't. I I might have missed the fact that I got pushed to twenty twenty one. I think I may have missed that. Anyway, the trailer was interesting. I, I didn't love the trailer per se, but I'm already all on board with this movie just because of the cast. The cast just looks so damn good. I cannot wait. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Hold on a second. Um, next up, uh, Jack Lumbers writes, Making marking out is the wrestling term equivalent of geeking out. Somebody writing, when do you mark out? I, I wasn't familiar with the term. Marking out is the wrestling term equivalent for geeking out or fanboying out to something. So marking out to a movie just means you're excited about something in the movie and you act on it like cheering. Well, that's all good to know. Um, give me a second here. Okay. Um, yeah, that was kind of explained to me. I kind of assumed that it had kind of that basic kind of meaning. I just went on that assumption that it did. I was familiar with all the other wrestling terms, but I wasn't really familiar with that one. Thank you for following up on that, uh, Jack Lumbers. All right. ZOMG Ruler writes, did you hear about uh, Henry Cavill signing up for three? We addressed this a little bit earlier for three DC movies. I think the website may have been fake, but I thought I would list it as a topic to debunk. But I thought you would list it as a topic to debunk it. Uh, maybe you did. Also, may I suggest uh, listing the co-host of the day so people can ask Aaron or Rob? Well, the problem with that is that quite often, sometimes like we'll have somebody lined up to be a guest one day and then they can't uh, at the last minute or something. Then people will get upset. So that's why I just 
don't list who the guest is that day. Uh, but again, to the Superman thing, it's a non-story. They already announced months ago that Henry Cavill was coming back as Superman, right? All, all that was left at the time was they just had to work out the details of the contract. He's coming back. We already knew that. So to me, it's a non-story. Uh, for, now, for now, it's a non-story. Look, if the Hollywood Reporter comes out tomorrow specifically with the story of something we don't know, which is they are, in fact, doing J.J. Abrams, Henry Cavill is going to come back and be a lead in a Man of Steel 2 or something like that. Well, then that's something to, to discuss. That's a new detail. But until it's printed in one of those article in one of those trades... And, you know, it could be true already, but once it's in those, then we know that it's true. Then we can talk about it. So I'll kind of hold on. But other than that, Henry Cavill coming back as Superman is something we've known for ages already. So that's it's just nothing new to me. All right. Porg based diet rights. I like that name. Uh, when COVID is over, since movie production is now way ahead of movie releases, what unforeseen issues may arise? We were just talking about that a few minutes ago, i.e. Uh, competing for release dates, big movies releasing on the same dates. Will we see a billion dollar movie with a big movie uh, debuting weekly? I mean, yeah, that's going to be we were talking about that a little bit earlier in the show about the fact that, you know, the mayhem that is being caused by the pandemic isn't going to end when the pandemic ends. We are going to see repercussions and the aftermath of this for at least a year and a half in the movie business. And that's after the pandemic's done. Because, yeah, it's there's going to be jockeying for release dates, how, which movies get pushed out to 2022 and 2023. We're, we're seriously in the point that there's some movies that are going to get pushed like a couple of years because of this. It The madness has just started, Porg-based diet. The madness has just started. This is going to be something we feel the repercussions in the aftermath of for a long time. Um, and it's going to be chaos. I do not envy the job that distributors and the, the uh, theatrical exhibitors and all this kind of stuff. I do not envy the logistics job they have to do over the next year. It's going to be crazy, man. It's going to be absolutely crazy. All right. Senior Film writes, so I guess no Dark Crystal season two. I have not heard. And listen, the first season was so damn great. And everybody who watched it loves it. But at this point, I have no idea. I have not heard anything official about them getting a green light for season two. Um, unfortunately, the more time that passes, the more unlikely it is that we get a season two. But you got to also remember. We're in the midst of a pandemic. Um, it could very well be that they're ready to announce the season two, but they're not going to announce it until they can get all of their facilities back open and get all their cast and crew and, and all their workshops open. And maybe they just don't feel the need to announce it right now until maybe later. So I'm still personally holding out hope for a um Dark Crystal season two. I loved that show. I thought they did a great job on it. All right, MD writes. Did you see Paul Rudd's wear? I did. Did you see Paul Rudd's wear a mask PSA? So funny. I just love that guy. Also, Chris Hemsworth did a surprise weather report on an Australian morning show. Did you see these? I did. Uh, the, the Australian weather report, I just kind of stumbled across that one on YouTube. So what happened, for those of you who didn't see it, it's really funny. Some, it's a local Australian um, news station was like, went out to our weather girl and the girl's out in some field doing a weather report. And I guess Chris Hemsworth just happened to be around there and Hemsworth saw that some news crew was shooting something and he just walked onto screen and like you could see the reaction of like the women in studio and the girl on who was there is like, hey, I'll read it. And he takes the paper from her and he starts reading the weather forecast. It's actually really funny. You should go check it out on YouTube if you haven't seen it. All right. Ben Rayner writes. 
Hey, John, with all these big movies in question, I have to wonder over or under 35% free guy. I, we were talking about this the other day. Free guy with Ryan Reynolds moves to PVOD. I'm thinking it's one of those movies uh, that could flop because of everything around it. Maybe digital would help. Listen, digital never helps. We've already seen it. Moving something to PVOD instead of theatrical, you make way, way less. Way less than if you had just waited. I think, now, in this pandemic, who knows? I mean, I never would have thought they would have moved Mulan to digital. And uh, look what happened there. They probably made about a 25% of what that movie would have made. Anyway, not to mention all, now we know why, because there was a lot of other drama that surrounded it, and I guess they didn't want that with it being in theaters. But So I never thought Mulan would move there either, and it did. I don't think you move that. Ryan Reynolds, other than The Rock, is probably the second biggest movie star in the world right now. I mean, he's the second highest paid movie star in the world right now. We remember we talked about the top 10 the other day and Ryan Reynolds was number two. The only guy higher than him is The Rock. So I don't think you put that to PVOD. I think that's one you sit on for a year if you have to. Uh, but I think that one gets it. But again, it's not impossible. It's it, in a world where Disney put Mulan onto streaming. It's absolutely possible. But you're asking me if I think they would do it. No. Um, and they would certainly make a lot less money than they would if they just sat on and waited for it. So, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right. Dan S writes, Hey, John and Rob, have either of you seen HBO's The Outsider? I have not. I just finished it the other day and I loved it. It's got a style and pace similar to a, uh, uh, a David Fincher thriller, but with a supernatural twist. Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, I love Ben Mendelsohn. And Cynthia Erivo act their asses off too. Well, you just sort of assume that Ben Mendelsohn will always act his ass off. But no, I'm not. I have not watched that one. There's so much content on there. I actually I'm watching more television right now than I ever do. Because I generally don't watch a whole ton-ass amount of TV. But like right now, I'm watching The Boys. I'm watching Raised by Wolves. I'm watching Lovecraft. I'm watching Ted Lasso. I'm watching... What else? I'm watching Mythic Quest right now. I'm not loving Myth Mythic Quest, but it's all right. It's got its charm. Um, I'm, wa I'm watching more TV right now than I ever normally do. But again, there's just so much out there. But The Outsider is unfortunately, Dan, right now, one that I have not had a chance to check out yet. Uh, okay. Next up, Scott Brown writes, one of two. It seems like the movie studios are in a real catch-22. They very much are. The whole movie industry is in a catch-22 right now. They don't want to release... Uh, their movies right now because of the money they're going to lose. But if they don't release anything, there's never they're never going to build any momentum. Uh, you have to give people reason to go back with new material or they might move on. Like, I really want to go back, but I've seen Tenet, New Mutants, and Unhinged, so there's nothing else for me to see. So this weekend, I might move on to something else. No, that, and you're right. It's a catch-22, and there's no clear right answer. You put movies out right now, you're a little bit screwed because you're not going to make as much, nearly as much, if you release it in a non-pandemic era. However, if you don't start putting out content right now, other films are going to suffer down the line when you try to get everything up and running again. As you're trying to get back to normal, you got to get the process. But at the same time, if you try to be that penguin in the water like Tenant, you're going to suffer losses. Again, it is a very, you're absolutely right. It is a catch-22. 
And the cinemas have never had a scenario like this that theaters go, well, you know, this happened in uh, 2002. What did the industry do in 2002 to get out of it? There is no example like that. This is totally unprecedented. And so there is no clear answer as to what is the right thing to do. So I feel bad for the whole industry, for the theaters, for the studios. It's like, what's the philosophy? What's the approach you should take? There's no clear right answer. It's it's going to be tricky to see how they get through this. All right. Rogue Mammoth writes, all hail the foot of Feige for getting spumped inside the MCU. Now, again, we don't know that this is the case, but it certainly seems to me between the Spider-Man mural Michael Keaton popping up in the Morbius thing, in the Morbius trailer, and now we've got Olivia Wilde mentioning Kevin Feige on her Sony Spider-Woman movie thing. It, it looks like there is mounting evidence that they may be, we don't know, we don't know, just speculating here, but I'm saying there's enough anecdotal evidence at least piling up here that it is not crazy it's not crazy to look at this and say, holy crap, they're going to be merging the Sony universe into the MCU. Whether that happens or not, we don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But it's going to be interesting to see how this all transpires. Uh, but Dog writes, as both a film nerd and an accountant, I'm fascinated by the business and politics of Hollywood. Though I never want to join the entertainment industry, I'd love to learn more. Can you recommend any books to help... Uh, 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 why am I freezing on the pronunciation of this word? State my interest. All right. No, I, I really don't know any like, def I, I'm not like all the books that I have on the film industry are either biographical, historical or art books like filmmaking, the art of filmmaking and things like that, or the history of Warner Brothers in the 80s or things like that. I don't know of any books off the top of my head that specifically talks about the financing and, and accounting of the movie business in Hollywood. I don't know any books off the top of my head. If any of you guys do, uh, please jump into the comments and, and give Butt Dog some recommendations on that. I'd be curious to see that as well. Thanks for asking, man. All right. <clears throat> Just have a couple minutes left here, guys. Uh, Chris Hunt writes, Saw Heat for the first time the other night. Uh, never realized how many movies, especially The Town, were influenced by it. Also watching uh, it knowing Pacino was supposed to have a coke addiction that got cut was like watching Shutter Island for the second time. Um, that is that is another movie. You know, We've been talking a lot about in the pandemic some classic movies that people have been watching for the first time. A lot of people watching the Lord of the Rings films for the first time. A lot of people watching the Godfather movies for the first time. But I've also heard from a number of people like you, Chris, who are writing and saying, you know what? I've never seen Heat. Everybody always talking about Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, like this, this Heat movie. And I've heard from a number of people who have gone back to watch that for the first time. So that's a good pick, man. All right. Uh, Butt Dog the Revenge writes, what's the meanest you've ever been to someone for disrupting a movie? Uh, many years back, I dumped a tub of of uh, buttery popcorn on some couple that would not shut up as they wrecked my first theater going experience of the matrix immature yes but gratifying uh not smart either like ever getting involved doing anything that that's physical not a good idea and it's not cool it's not a good idea like if they had wanted to be dicks they probably could have had you charged like purposely dumping your somebody could call the cops on you and charge you with assault. 
a lesser degree of assault, yes, but you can be charged with that. It's never a cool idea, especially in a movie theater, to escalate to anything physical, whether it's actually laying hands on somebody or throwing a, a candy wrapper at somebody. That's not a smart thing to do. It's not just just not smart. It's not cool. I don't care how much somebody's talking. It's it's just not a cool unless that person is talking about yo mama. It's not a good idea. It's just just not a good idea. Um, for us, it was definitely I think it's the number 13 or the number. What, what was the name of the Jim Carrey one? It was either the number 13 or the number 27 or the number 68, whatever that awful, awful, awful movie was. But we had this group of teenage girls behind us that just would not shut the F up the entire time. And finally, like I turned around and yelled something at them. And my the guy who was with my buddy who I was with turned around and used much more colorful language uh, than I would have. But yeah, I think that's the uh, I think that's the meanest. But guys, honestly. I know people pulling out their phones is irritating as hell. I know people talking through a movie is irritating as hell. Maybe say something. Maybe go get theater management because they're not just disrupting your experience that you paid to go there and have, but they're disrupting other people's experiences too. All that kind of stuff. There is no excuse to elevate it to a physical thing. There's no excuse for elevating to a physical thing. All you're doing is inviting escalation, right? And you could be putting yourself in a lot of trouble. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I highly, highly, highly discourage anything like that. Go get, go get a theater rep because you paid to be in there for a movie experience. And if there's another patron in there who's ruining that experience that you and other people paid for, then you have every right to go to the theater and say, Hey, look, because you know what? It's no different than if a light bulb in the theater was flashing on and off while you're trying to watch a movie, you paid to be in that movie theater. If there is something, I don't care if it's a flashing light bulb, crackling speakers, or another patron talking, if there is an element in that theater that is disrupting and disturbing your paid experience, you need to go and get the theater involved. And uh, anyway, that's my take on that. All right. Uh, last question of the day, guys, comes to us from Mike Thompson, who writes, so Mahershala Ali was cast as Blade last year, despite there being no hint as to when that movie is actually coming. So my tinfoil hat question is, given Olivia Wilde's comments, plus the Morbius trailer, over under 50%, we actually see Blade cameo in Morbius. Well, actually, Mike, somebody asked this exact same question yesterday. Somebody yesterday asked this exact same question. Um, and I'll give my same thing. I... 15% low because somebody else wrote in and they asked over under 40%. I said 40% is too high. I'll take the over 15%. Uh, actually, maybe no, because yesterday they asked cameo or are mentioned. I'll go over 15% that maybe there's some kind of mention or Easter egg of Blade in it, but that Mahershala Ali actually appears. I'll say no. And the reason I'll say I'll, I'll say under 15% on that is because of this. They announced Mahershala Ali almost, oh gosh, almost a year ago, right? Like practically a year ago, he was announced. At that time, there was no Spider-Woman project. At that time, there was no, uh, Olivia Wilde was not attached to direct it. And Olivia Wilde was told that she gets to develop this story. She's not walking into a movie where the script's already been written and what has to happen. She said she gets to develop the story. So all that kind of adds up to it being unlikely. I still don't think it's impossible, though. 
I still don't think it's impossible. I think it is a possibility it could happen. I'll just, at this point, though, still keep to the under 15%. If they had only announced Mahershala Ali like two months ago, I'd say that chance is much higher. Since they did it like a year ago, I, yeah, I'll go under 15. Still possible, but under 15. All right, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campia Show, guys, congratulations for making it through to the end of another week. May you guys have a wonderful weekend ahead of you, priming you for another great week of triumph and victory in the weeks ahead. Guys, uh, just so you guys know, there will not be an open mic this weekend. Uh, Ann and I are, uh, we're going to get out of Dodge this weekend. She and I are going to take uh, just a quick little trip out of town together just to unwind and relax. So there will not be an open mic this weekend. Although I might do, I might do a play in chat on Sunday night. I have to keep your eyes open for that, but we will of course be back again Monday and you guys can start firing in either your main topics. If you guys come across some big main news stories, you think we should talk about, go ahead and submit it over to www.thejohncampishow.com slash contact, submit it there. You might see your submission as a main topic and it's absolutely free or if you got a comment or question you want to make sure it gets on the show just use the tip link that's in the top of the description of this video guys thanks so much for being here remember do the four main things stay smart stay safe take care of yourselves and please take care of the people around you that'll do it for me my name's john campia and until next time my friends bye-bye